This is Innovating a Bright Future. Hello, we're back for another episode. I'm your host, Avery Kreibold, and this is the show where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Instead of conserving energy or decarbonizing the transportation system, I'm talking to Peter Jensen from Aquaporin about the Aquaporin Inside technology, a new water filtration technology based on biological filters found in nature that can be used to purify water from just about anywhere, wastewater from industrial plants, and even desalinating ocean water, all of which reduces the need for extensive, carbon-intensive water treatment and helps to make clean water more available to everyone. Please enjoy. So welcome to the show, Mr. Peter Jensen. You're the CEO of Aquaporn, and I'm actually pretty excited to talk to you about this because I've kind of been going back and forth with your company for a couple months now since we started season one about trying to get you guys on for an interview. So Aquaporn isn't actually directly related to climate change, at least not in the way that some of the other companies that I've talked to are. You guys are actually working on another one of the big global problems right now, which is water scarcity. With ever-growing levels of pollution and, of course, less frequent precipitation, less water, you're working hard to make clean, drinkable, and usable water more accessible for everyone. So what else can you tell me about aquaporin? What's your guys' vision? We don't do renewable energy, but you could say water in many senses is sort of the outcome of the climate changes. The scarcities and the irregularities of uh, water and, and having access to water is heavily affected the climate changes that we see right now. And I think actually it's what, and of course that puts an even harder stress on the water resources that we have today. Water is directly related to climate change. But let me start with giving you sort of the background of uh, Aquaporin. It's a very nice story actually about how uh, basic science can inspire more commercial ideas. The story of Aquaporin starts all the way back in 1992, where an American professor, Peter Agri, he discovers these aquaporin proteins that filter water in living cells. So they filter water in your body as we speak. They filter water in the root of trees. He discovered that in 1992 and identified them as the aquaporin protein. And he actually also named them the aquaporin protein, being this water transporting pore in all living cells. Peter Eichel got the Nobel Prize for that in 2003 because it was really world-class basic science he did. Around the same time, we were a couple of postdocs sitting and doing computer simulations on how water is transported across these aquaporin proteins in nature. And that was published in Science in 2002. And that really inspired the commercial idea of taking the cure from nature and water filtration and reusing it in a more industrial context. And, and we were the first ones in the world to see how uh, fantastically efficient the aquaporin protein is in filtering water in nature. So really seeing is believing here. You see how they work, how efficient and effective they are, and 100% selective in the water transport. And when you see that in the computer simulations, which was what was published in Science in 2002, 
you will immediately get, get the vision, well, why don't we just reuse nature in a more industrial context? Because if we are looking for sustainability within, for instance, water treatment in the long run, well, nature is a pretty good place to start. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that kind of follows with a couple other ideas of coming back to nature in the last few years, kind of come full circle looking back to nature for these solutions to some of the problems that we're facing right now. So I really like the idea that you guys found your solution to water treatment in nature. But where are you guys actually based? Headquarters based in Copenhagen, Denmark. Then we also have an R&D hub in Singapore, where we had a decade of collaboration with the Singaporean government. As Singapore is one of the countries in the world that really uh, puts more, most effort into development and technology development within the water space, because they have a big water scarcity and they get approximately 50% of all the water from Malaysia. So they need to find uh, new ways, more sustainable ways of uh, treating the waters. I want to get into a bit of what water treatment actually is. I find, at least for me, it might be different in other places of the world. But here in Canada, I'm in Alberta, Canada, water treatment is kind of a behind-the-scenes topic. We don't really talk about it all that much. We don't know how it works, why it works, and how we're actually using it. So where do we actually need water treatment right now? Yeah, well, what you talk about here is so sort of termed municipal water treatment, where the municipalities take care of the water treatment. We open our tap, clean water comes out. That's one part, and of course a big part of water treatment. But there are many different levels of water treatment. If you take all industries in the world, somehow they use water in their production process. I don't think I can think of a, of a single technology where you can actually produce it without the use of water. I think we all know that, for instance, in producing uh, textiles and T-shirts, you uh, use a lot of water, 100 liters of water per T-shirt. I think maybe less knows that, for instance, the most important component in the production of computer chips is ultra-pure water. Because what you use the ultra-pure water for is to rinse the surface of the uh, wafer before you coat it on the surface. And without the use of ultra-pure water, you would not be able to produce computer chips like we're sitting and using right now. A car, it's more than 100,000 gallons of water in order to produce a car. And that goes for all different industries. So that's another area, area apart from municipal water treatment, where there's a huge demand and more and more specialized demand. And that's also where we come into play. And then the last play is where, where a place in water treatment is where people take more individual ownership of the water and the purity of the water. And here, I might not be talking about Canada or Denmark that much because we have relatively clean water when we open our tap. But in places like China, India, Korea, Southern Europe, even the US, you actually have a huge industry that produces what is called point-of-use purifiers where you treat the water in your kitchen. It, it's a market of uh, more than 30 billion US dollars today, growing with 11% annually. I think most people know what a point-of-use purifier is, but just in case, I'll lay it out for you. Point-of-use purifiers are filtration systems that are used at point-of-use. Usually just in a home, but sometimes a small business, they can be something that hooks into your water system, purifying the water before it comes out of your pipes. It can be something that purifies a certain water source, like installing a filter on the tap of your kitchen sink, or it can be on an even smaller scale taking the form of self-filtering water jugs or water bottles. 
If you want to take a look at one of these, just Google Brita filter and it will give you a good idea. Not everybody does that because some places you actually have clean water coming out of the tap. However, in the areas where the economical growth has been so fast that the infrastructure has not followed, this is where you see that the water is getting polluted in the transportation to your house. And here people take private ownership of cleaning the water, securing that themselves and their children actually drink clean and healthy water. So, so there are many levels in water treatment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously. Much more than I expected, actually. And 100,000 gallons a car. Just to make it a bit easier to visualize, that's about 1,200 bathtubs of water. Yeah, more than 100,000. I think it's 125,000 gallons, but don't hold me on that one. But it's amazing to see how much water is used for each production. One kilogram of meat, it's like maybe 5,000 5, liters of water for one kilogram of meat. When he's talking about meat, I want to make it clear that beef is by far the worst. I'll see if I can find a visual for how the carbon emissions of beef compare to other food products, but beef is exponentially worse than any other food product out there. So if you're looking for one way to lower your own impact, start by not eating beef and see if you can work your way towards being a vegetarian. Because your eating habits are one of the easiest things you can adjust in your own life that has the biggest impact. One liter of biofuel uses 10,000 liter of water in the production and goes on and on and on. So all industries use it. And I think we all know that it is the most vital and also in in terms of volume, the biggest resource that we use on Earth today. And of course, it will continue to be. I mean, yeah, it's essential to our own lives and every aspect of them. Obviously, we have to drink it, of course. That's the one that springs to mind for me. Honestly, I had no idea that it was so involved in all these processes. Is that just from like washing things down or like how is that being used? So much water. It really depends on the the actual process. For instance, in textile production, it it is, of course, used to solubilize a lot of the things, the dye, etc. that you use in the production. It's also used to wash it afterwards. Semiconductor production is, I think, is primarily used to rinse the surface. Here it has to be ultra pure water. So it really depends and the application and the industry in you. you. We think of water as something we drink, but where it's actually most important is that it, it's, a, it's a solvent, actually. <laughs> we don't think of water as a solvent, but it actually is, and it's where, where you could say most uh, organic compounds are most soluble in. This is how it's used in the industry. In many ways, it's a solvent, actually. Peter is totally right here, and I didn't even know that before. Look at that. We're learning together. Water is most often used to dissolve other things within it. Dyes, chemicals, salts, mixtures, alloys, you name it. Water is probably used to dissolve or mix it. In many of these cases, pure water is needed, or at least pretty pure water. Because if the water is already saturated with something, then it doesn't work as a solvent, and it can't do the job it's supposed to. Which is why filtration like aquaporins is important. Yeah, that's fascinating. We're going to get into a bit of your technology now. So you can give me a bit of a breakdown of how aquaporins technology actually works. You've mentioned it a bit with like comparing it to those aquaporin fibers that you found in nature. At what points of this process in treating water is aquaporin making changes? And how is that actually improving that process? Yeah, so the the aquaporin protein, it's a pore that sits in this membrane of the cell 
and uh, you can produce that in a fermentation process, and then you can use it as a new component for coding a new generation of membranes or filters. So I think the low-tech version is really, think of a coffee filter, and then we coat the surface of this coffee filter with the aquaporin protein and some other components, which converts the filter into an intelligent coffee filter that you can use to filter out pollutants, for instance, in the drinking water. You can even use it to desalinate seawater. And one of the most interesting and fun things we have been doing for close to a decade now is also working with institutions like NASA, where we filter out all the pollutants from urine and then ending up with a clean water where you can drink it. So, And the reason why we can do that is that the aquaporin protein is designed by nature through billions of years of evolution to be very, very efficient. So one aquaporin protein can filter one billion water molecules per second. That relates to one gram of aquaporin protein can filter 700 liters of water per second. So they're very, very efficient. On top of that, it is water and only water that passes through the aquaporin protein. So that also means that you can actually make uh, membranes or filters, which are very, very not only efficient, but also uh, selective in the water treatment process. This is where we come in with our technology. What is unique about it is that it's, a, it's one of the first merge in, the, in industrial history where you combine biology and using biological components together with more classical engineering skills. And uh, we see that this is a very, very uh, fascinating new field where different technologies are popping up. The former president of uh, MIT in Boston, Susan Hockfield, has just recently um, published a book on this called The Age of Living Machines, where she describes a handful of different companies as case studies around the world, which works on this uh, merge of biology and more classical engineering. And we are very happy that Aquapon is one of these five case studies in that book. Yeah, that's amazing. That idea of an intelligent filter and how you can be selective in what it's filtering and all these different things that it can filter. So does that mean that there's a way to almost program these proteins and program your filters to let through what you want to be let through? Like if you're making coffee, you want the coffee to come through, but nothing else. Adjust it so that you're getting exactly what you want out of every single filter, no matter what the use, or is it kind of just universal? We can extract the water or filter out the water and only the water. Right now, we, we cannot, uh, you could say, program or design the filter so that we only allow coffee through. What we can do, however, for instance, is that we can use the aquaponic inside technology to, for instance, extract water out of coffee. You know how you, you uh, do an Americano, you uh, produce an espresso and then you pour water into it. We can actually reverse that process where we uh, can take an Americano, extract the water and only the water out of the Americano, and then you end up with an espresso without losing any flavor or fragrances uh, in that process. And this is where it becomes quite interesting for the food and beverage industry. In collaboration with the uh, partners in the food and beverage industry, we can use the aquaponic inside technology to create entirely new uh, products which you're not able to do today because we essentially reverse the water, uh, the water treatment process. That's like something out of a sci-fi movie. You pour a coffee through a filter and you end up with clear water and an espresso. That's incredible. So I'm curious, how does this apply to, we talked about the industrial uses of water a bit. How does this apply to those processes? Is this something that's being used in getting like ultra pure water for production in those microchips? And where else do you see aquaporins technology being used for actually industry? 
It's a good question because the fact is that coming with a new water treatment technology, there are really so many opportunities that you can drown in them talking about water. So it's really, really important that you figure out the right beachhead for going into the market with your technology. And here we have been looking in a lot of different industries, and we have selected three where we're focusing on right now to start on that. The fact is that, you know, as mentioned before, any industry and any human being is using water on a daily basis. So you could, you could more or less take any industry and go in there. What we have selected to do is to start in drinking water, industrial water treatment, where we have a focus on the textile industry, and in the food and beverage industry, where we have a focus on the coffee industry. Let me try to walk you through each of these uh, three areas. In uh, drinking water, we have designed the aquaponic inside technology for a drinking water membrane that creates pure and also healthy drinking water. It filter out all the bacteria, all the viruses, all the pesticides and forever chemicals that are in the drinking water in many places. But we leave a certain amount of the salt and minerals in the water because you actually need that for human consumption. If you drink too pure water without salts and minerals, your body needs that. So here we have created what we call a drinking water reverse osmosis membrane. And that has been implemented to our first two point of use purifiers called Zero and One. And we're putting that into the market now. In parallel with that, we have a focus in the textile industry where we are using the aquaponic side technology to reduce the amount of wastewater streams coming out of the textile industry. The fact is that today, on a global basis, around 80% of all industrial wastewater is put into the environment without adequate treatment. 80%. It might not be in Canada, it might not be in Denmark, but in general, 80% of industrial wastewater is not properly treated. It's just put into the rivers and lakes and the sea without adequate treatment because it's sort of a waste, so people just prefer to forget that. <laughs> and around 20% of all wastewater can directly or indirectly be related to the production of textile. It's a good place to start for us. What we can do here is we can reduce the amount of wastewater in a single step by 95%. By essentially extracting the water out of the wastewater, a little bit like I told you the story with the coffee, where we can extract water out of uh, the uh, Americano, uh, ending up with an espresso. It's a little bit the same we do here. So we we end up with an espresso of textile wastewater. (laughs) And then the remaining 5% of the wastewater has to be treated in another fashion. With the aquaponic side technology, we can actually reduce the amount of wastewater by a factor of 20 in the textile industry. And the last market that we are focusing on is then, as I mentioned, the, uh, the coffee industry, where we really want to enter into larger partnerships with uh, companies that are in the coffee industry developing a novel product. I'm assuming then after you are filtering it with aquaporin, you're planning to be able to reuse that water again. Yes, of course, that has to go hand in hand with the entire system integration. And here we are working with different system integrators. So you have to think of Aquapon in this context as a technology provider. So it's important that we work with the right companies that are also intelligently incorporate the Aquapon inside technology into sustainable solutions where the end goal is for sure to end up in a zero liquid discharge process where you loop all the water that you extract out of the wastewater back into the production process. But that requires intelligent system engineering, which our partners and customers are doing. 
that's definitely one way that you guys are creating these more sustainable systems. And because I am a podcast based on climate change, I have to ask, is that kind of the main way that you guys are working on reducing emissions by reducing the water that we're using and wasting? Are there any other ways that you guys are trying to mitigate climate change and be more sustainable? I think the best example here is that we are working together with the Singapore government of, of implementing the aquaponensite technology in desalination of seawater, where our technology can lower the uh, amount of energy used in the desalination process. So normal desalination plants, they require enormous amounts of energy. And here we have a goal of uh, reducing the energy consumption in the desalination uh, process with around 15%. That's an ongoing project we have with the Singapore government where we have already now spent two, three years on uh, getting proof of concept for this. We have that now and now we are upscaling the technology. And in 2023, we will be piloting this in one of uh, Singapore's government's own uh, desalination plants in Singapore. That's a direct example of how uh, the aquaponics side technology can lower the uh, energy consumption in water treatment. And for listeners at home, desalination is that process of taking seawater and making it into drinkable and usable water without all the salt in it. And we know that that is important now, and it's only going to become more important as water gets more scarce. We have billions and billions of gallons of water on Earth, but it's saturated with salt in our oceans, of course. So we're going to need this desalination to take that ocean water and turn it into drinking water in order to eliminate a lot of the water scarcity that we're seeing around the world. Maybe not in Canada right now, but even in the U.S., in Nevada, Arizona, this year they're having huge water shortages with the droughts. So that's definitely something that is going to be more important. And as Peter said, it's very, very, very energy intensive right now. So it's great to see your company, Aquaporn, working on a solution to that. It was actually also JFK who said that um, if uh, we could find a cheap way to desalinate seawater, that would dwarf any other scientific accomplishment. If you can get energy efficient and cheap desalination techniques for the future, it will be a, you know, a huge achievement and something that can change the water stress that we see around the world today. It will truly be a world-changing technology to see that. It's hard to imagine the hardship that especially third world countries go through in water. We can't even imagine that in Denmark or Canada, the amount and the scale of challenges that they're facing when it comes to water. What can one person do to conserve water and try to be as sustainable as possible when it comes to using and reusing or treating water? If you look at it from a volume point of view, the biggest consumer of water in the world is uh, the agricultural industry, where around 70% of all water in the world is used for irrigation. So looking at it from a volume point of view, there's no doubt that optimization of the use of irrigation water will have the biggest impact. If we look at it on a more sort of daily scale and in our households, I think the the most direct way where you can actually make a difference is to, and you might not like this, is to take shorter showers (laughs) because this is actually where you use most water in your daily household. (laughs) All right, I I like that. It's tough to ask that of of us who are so privileged in how we've been using water for years. But yeah, we just have to be mindful of how we're using that water. 
I'm going to contradict myself in like five minutes here, but I wanted to jump in and say that yes, you can have an impact on your water usage. And you should, if you can, try to reduce your use as much as possible. It's important. But you should also remember that, like I talked about with Carlos a few weeks ago, the biggest impact you can have is at a systemic level. If you can vote someone in who makes an effort to move towards renewable energy or re regenerative water usage, concentrate your efforts on making that happen. And if you can do that, it's okay to sit down in the shower for a couple of minutes. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. Just do what you can, and when you have the opportunity to have an impact on the system itself, take that opportunity. All right, well, I think that's kind of the bigger questions that I had for you. I have just a couple of short ones that I want to ask you if you're up for that. Perfect. All right, my first one is, what should we focus on more? And I know it's not strictly your field, but should we focus on climate mitigation or climate adaptation? I don't think I have a straight answer to that. I think it's a combination of the two. It really depends on what challenge we're talking about here, because in, in, in some areas you have to mitigate and some areas you have to adapt. I would have to say the boring uh, answer would be it would be a combination of the two. Uh, and I think, for instance, in water treatment, I think it is uh, extremely important that we see new water treatment technologies like the aquaponic side technology being adapted by the industries. On the other hand, I also see that reducing <laughs> our showers can actually make a huge difference. We saw that in Cape Town last year, where they had more or less day zero, where they were running out of water. And within one month, they actually changed the thinking around the use of water in Cape Town, which has sort of postponed day zero, where Cape Town runs out of water. Because uh, of the inhabitants, they reduced their water consumption by around 75% within one to two months' time. And in that sense, they actually solved the challenge that came time had as, as a city, not with new technology, but by changing their behavior. That's amazing. Yeah, it definitely empowers people to make a change, to be mindful and be conscious of how we're using water and energy in order to mitigate climate change, because we, we really do have an impact. And I think that gets forgotten a lot, but we do have an impact on how the course of climate change will go over the next couple of decades. In water, you can have, you can have the direct impact. Right? I think the challenge with water somehow is that, I mean, we have the water that we have on Earth. It will stay on Earth forever, that water. So it's not that when people say we are running out of water, it's more of a water imbalance that we see right now because we actually have the same water that we had a thousand years ago or a million years ago on Earth. But there, there are irregularities to where the water is. So you have, the, you have big storms, heavy rainfalls coming that, that makes floods, but it's only for a shorter period of time. But uh, I think some of the biggest uh, challenges in the water imbalances that we see today is, for instance, the aquifers below cities that are being depleted. If you look at some of the, the big cities around the world, it could be Mexico City, it could be Beijing, it could be other cities. They are actually uh, sinking these years because we are depleting the water resources below the city. A good example is Mexico City that is sinking approximately on average 20 centimeters per year right now. That's a meter in five years. And it's because the aquifer below the city is uh, being depleted. The same goes for Beijing where it's the entire city of Beijing is sinking approximately 10 centimeters per year. That's a meter in a decade. And it, it's, of course, uh, because then in balance, we're using too much water here and too less water here, and then we have floods somewhere and cities are sinking other places. 
but we can have a direct impact on that by changing our behavior. For changing that behavior, not only on an individual scale, but on a larger scale too. My second question is, what is most important to focus on for sustainability, policy, technology, or economics? So I, I don't think any of the three can change it without the other. I think it's important to think of uh, technology. It's uh, a sort of we have a vision of a technology in Aquapoint, but without the capital and the financing, we would not be able to develop and upscale the technology. And without the political uh, support behind it, we would not be able to uh, collaborate with, for instance, a country like Singapore for a decade. So I think Aquapoint is a really good example of uh, that you need to have the uh, the vision of a new technology. Combine that with uh, with finance uh, and I would say both private equity, but also governmental support through public-private partnerships and more soft money. And that combination is what has led to Aquapoint being a success. We have been able to upscale this and starting to implement it in three industries that you've seen before. You, you cannot just say we only need technology because technology needs political support and incentive and you need finances to develop a technology. And yeah, you're right. Aquaporn is a perfect intersection of those three kind of key pillars to progress in any of these fields. My next question is, whose shoulders does this burden fall on when it comes to the global problems like climate change and water scarcity? Who is responsible for this? Well, I, I think we have to say the industrialized world. And then you can always uh, discuss what is the industrialized world. I would say that China is also a part of the industrialized world today. But I, I think when you look at it uh, statistically, we are maybe also some of the of the countries in the world that use uh, most energy per inhabitant. So uh, <laughs> it's definitely on the shoulders of, of the industrialized world. I think the challenge is biggest in the developing world. These are the ones that are being hurt the most. If you look, for instance, just we're talking about water today, around 1.5 billion people in the world today do not have access to clean water and sanitation. It's 1.5 billion. That's it. It's a crazy number. We don't really understand how that can be because, again, we are privileged. But it's, uh, it's due to the imbalances in the way that we use water. So, for instance, today we can see the rivers floating from the uh, from U.S. into Mexico, for instance. Less water is flowing into Mexico from the U.S. because the water is used in the river before it uh, enters Mexico. Is that right? <laughs> I don't have the answer. I'm just asking the questions here. You can only solve that by politics and technology and, and you know finance capital in combination. I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to circle back to that. These are global problems. So we kind of need a global response to them. We need a response throughout every sector. So yeah, I definitely agree that it does fall on kind of the leaders of industry throughout the world to solve these big problems or work on these big problems at the very least. My last question is, I know it's not strictly your field, but I ask everyone this, based on your knowledge of the world in general, do you believe that we can reduce emissions in order to reach carbon neutrality by 2050? I do. <laughs> I think I believe in humanity uh, and I think, we, I think we can, just like any development. When we start bending the curve, we will bend the curve exponentially. Very important point here that I didn't want you to miss. Peter says, and I agree, especially since efforts thus far have been poor, that once we start to move towards a world of sustainability, 
we will continue to accelerate towards that future. One year, we can hope for one solar plant to come online. The next, we should expect two. And after that, four. And then eight. Until we can sit back and say that we did it. We fixed climate change. Hooray. I know that's a long way off, but that's the hope. So, uh, and, and for that reason, I think we will be able to, to have uh, carbon neutrality, uh, neutral carbon emissions by 2050, but only if we combine the three pillars as we talked about before. I find it kind of tough to believe that sometimes, but that's really encouraging to hear that exponential factor. I've never actually heard that before. It's hard to see that as, as the world is going right now. So it's good to think about that when we start moving that in that direction, we're only going to keep moving faster and faster. All right. Well, I think that's everything I've got for you. Where can listeners find you and Aquaporin if they want to learn more about this? Well, uh, they can go on Aquaporin's uh, homepage, for instance. We also had a very nice interview on uh, CNN Business December last year, which would also be available. Uh, just Google uh, CNN Business and Aquaporin, you will find more on that. But otherwise, we, we, have, uh, we have several videos and, uh, and podcasts uh, on our homepage as well. Perfect. Yeah. And you guys actually have your own podcast. I should mention that. I'll definitely put a link in the show notes for that podcast. Anyone who's interested in aquaporin or these water treatment technologies should definitely check it out. Do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off here? To say thank you for doing this podcast. I think it's uh, I think what you're doing is actually also really important because it, it, it's a matter of uh, getting the word out there that there's actually a lot of things being developed these years. And uh, in order for us to, to meet the uh, goals that we just discussed, it's also important that these new technologies are being implemented. So it's uh, important to get the word out. So thanks for helping us spreading the word on Aquapoint. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks for coming on and lending your voice to this larger conversation on sustainability. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you very much. Big thank you to Aquaporin and Peter for coming on the show and lending their insight. And of course, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I know it was a little different than what we usually do, don't hesitate to share it with someone. Who knows, maybe they'll like it too. Lots of goodies in the show notes, organizations you can join, social media you can find us at, a cool free newsletter you can subscribe to, a Patreon you can donate to if you value the show and have some funds available. There is no minimum donation, all kinds of fun stuff. Thank you so much for listening all the way through and continuing to support the show. It would not be what it is without you. That's for sure. As always, stay innovative. I'll see you next week.